Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Well, we are absolutely thrilled to have you here this morning to worship with us. I want to ask if you would, if you have your Bibles, to open them with me to the book of Philippians in the New Testament, to Philippians chapter 4. Throughout the course of this season, we've been going through the book of Philippians with a sermon series entitled, Joy for the Journey. And throughout this series, really what we've seen is sermon after sermon, uh, chapter after chapter, verse after verse, the reminder that God is saying to us through our relationship with Christ, there is great joy. There's joy for the journey. And we've been reminded of how we find joy in Christ. Well, as we open up this morning, I thought I would open up with somewhat of a lighthearted illustration to remind us of the importance of the theme that we look at here this morning. The illustration is told of a school teacher who wanted to, uh, to give her kids something to do. It was around Christmas time, and she wanted to kind of give them a friendly competition, but she also wanted to use this as a means to gauge what they knew about Jesus. And so she told all of her students in her elementary class, I want you to make a, a painting or make a drawing. You can be as uh, creative as you want to, and in that, I want you to show me what Christmas is all about. Now, of course, it's hard for us to think about that. It's here in June, but nonetheless, they got the point. So she gave them the assignment, and sure enough, they began to bring in all the pictures. And she looked and saw much of what she anticipated. She saw pictures of Christmas trees, and she saw pictures of, of uh, presents, and she saw pictures of family, and that's what Christmas meant to many of the children. But she was dis disappointed to find that nobody seemed to be focused on Jesus. And finally, she came to a picture towards the very end of the stack where she looked and she noticed that she saw kind of a hillside, and there were some little people there and what looked to be animals, and she thought, you know what? I bet those are shepherds out on the hillside. And she looked at the rest of the picture and she saw in the middle of the picture what she believed to be an angel. And the angel's hand was open just like this. The angel's hand was open. But then all around the outskirts of the picture, there were these little green dots. And the teacher thought, man, this looks like the shepherds and this looks like the angel, but I can't make sense of this. So she called the little girl who had drawn the picture up to her desk and she said, honey, this is such a beautiful picture to describe to you the meaning of Christmas, but I don't understand exactly what it's saying. And the little girl said, oh, teacher, this is easy. Here's the shepherd and their sheep out in the field. And here's the angel right in the middle declaring a wonderful message. The teacher said, well, I understand that, but what are the green dots all over? She said, oh, that's easy. The angel's message was this. Jesus came to give peas to everyone. <laughs> well, the little girl misunderstood one word, but she understood the principle. And the principle was that Jesus' coming meant something for everyone, we see in Philippians chapter 4 that the reality of Christ and who he is and that he came and that he made a way for salvation, thank God it doesn't mean peas for everyone because I don't like them. But it does mean that through Christ today, there is peace for all. 
Philippians chapter 4, God begins to direct us now to where we find joy. And I believe as we study this portion of the scripture, we find that the Apostle Paul, no matter what he faced, no matter what he felt, no matter how great the circumstance, he had great joy. He rejoiced in the Lord because he knew that he had the peace of God available to him. When you study God's word, especially in the New Testament, we learn peace in two primary ways. First, there is peace with God, and then second, upon that, there can be the peace of God. Peace with God. That's where we'd start for a moment today, and I would ask you, do you have peace with God in your life today? Some would say, well, pastor, why is that so important? And what does that mean to be at peace with God? The Bible says that in our natural state, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. In our natural state, we are not good. In our natural state, we are not reconciled to God. In our natural state, the Bible says that in our sin, we are separated from God. Listen to what the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3. It says, without Christ... We formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Apart from Christ and a relationship through him, the fact is we are all separated from God. But here's the good news. The good news is Jesus came and lived the perfect sinless life. The good news is that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. The good news is that through faith in Christ, we can be forgiven and we can be saved and we can be at peace with God today. Here's how Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 14. He said, remember that at that time, before you believed in Jesus, you were separated from Christ. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But listen to this statement. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our what? He's our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. In other words, this morning, without Christ, we are separated from God. We are literally enemies of the cross of Christ. But when we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are brought to peace with God. We are reconciled to a right relationship with him. And it is on the basis of that relationship, we can today experience the peace of God in our lives, no matter the circumstance that we face. This is what Paul is referring to in Philippians chapter 4 as we look to God's word today. I want to ask you this morning, do you have the peace of God in your life today? Do you have the peace of God in your life today? If you're not sure, but you want to know for sure, listen to what God says in Philippians chapter 4. I want to ask you to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. Listen to what the Bible says. Beginning in verse 1, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyk to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now listen close. I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. 
Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And listen to the key theme of the text, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for this morning and the time we've gathered here together today. God, we confess we live in a broken, fallen world that seems to have everything but peace. Lord, at the same time, we don't even have to look at the world. At times, we can look in our own lives and in our own hearts and see the conflict and the division and the confusion that exists even within us. God, we need your peace today. So God, may today we hear your word and may we submit ourselves to it and apply it as you lead us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Joy in the peace of God. This morning, as we begin God's opening God's word and we think about the message this morning, I want us to really consider, do we have the peace of God in our life? Now, there's a few things that we've kind of got to establish as, as a framework for everything that we're going to learn in Philippians chapter 4. The first thing is that it's important for us to remember the context. Everything that we're going to study in verses 4 through 8, uh, 4 through 9, come with the foundation of a relationship with Christ. Paul says in verse 1, therefore, my beloved brethren. In other words, he's speaking to people who have already accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Please, this morning, when you hear the points of the message, don't take them as a prescription that you're going to apply and it's going to fix everything in your life. The basis for this prescription is that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. The fact of the matter is, this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can do everything that every pastor recommends, that every doctor recommends, that the so-called experts of the day recommend, and you still won't have peace because you won't know true peace until you know the source of peace, and that is Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's on that basis that now Paul begins to give us a prescription, if you will, for having the peace of God in our life. The second thing we see is not only the basis of a relationship, but I think it's important for us to understand that the Apostle Paul gave this prescription for peace, if you will, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but also from personal testimony. This is not merely something that Paul is writing about and preaching. It's something that he had experienced. It's something that he was living out. Paul had walked through this journey, and in the midst of it all, he had incredible peace of God, and he writes to speak of it into our life. But the third thing I want you to see is this. God does not give this prescription uh, and, and, and say to us that we've got to be perfect to apply it. None of us are. In fact, it's because we are imperfect that I think we need to hear this prescription all the more and seek to diligently apply it in our life. That's the very context of this passage. Paul is looking at the church at Philippi, and there were two ladies in the church that were having a disagreement. And as you know, disagreements tend to be contagious, that people began to pick sides. And what began as an initial division between two ladies is now impacting the larger body there in Philippi. And it's in the midst of that conflict, Paul looks and says, you need to have the peace of God in your life, and here is 
how. I don't know if you need peace today or not, but I imagine that most of us do. Listen to what God says about having his peace in our life, even still today. Five things I want you to see in our text this morning as we study God's word. The first thing I want you to see this morning is this. What is God's prescription? Here's how you have the peace of God in your life, even in the midst of circumstance. Begin by praising the Lord always. Begin by praising the Lord always. We just sang about it just a moment ago in our song. That Yes, I will, Lord, lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. For all my days, I will praise you, Lord. And it was a beautiful song. You sang it well this morning. But can I say to us this morning, it must be more than a song. We must praise the Lord always. Paul says in verse 4, literally, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. If anybody had a right to be discouraged, disheartened, defeated, if anyone had a reason to be in a place of despair, surely it was the Apostle Paul. He had faced attacks. He had been beaten. He dealt with the pressure of false teachers and divisions within the church. He was threatened. He was persecuted. He was imprisoned. He was shipwrecked. And if that's not enough, he was also snake bitten. A lot of things I could handle, but being bit by a snake, I wouldn't enjoy. But Paul had gone through all these things. If anybody would at a place where it would say, you know, I understand why he's so doom and gloom. But that's not where he is. Here's what he says. You want to have the peace of God in your life? Here's what you do. Rejoice in the Lord always. I love that statement. It's a reminder to us that we're not just to rejoice. It's hard to rejoice when life is going bad. It's hard to rejoice when things are coming against us. It's hard to rejoice when things don't go the way we anticipated. But he didn't merely say to rejoice. He said to rejoice in the Lord. It's the idea that we get our attention on the Lord. We look at who he is. We look at what he's deserving of. We look at what he's done in our life. And we'll rejoice no matter the situation in him. Another way to say that is this. The world is filled with brokenness, and our lives may be filled with burdens. But when we look to the Lord and see the blessing that his presence is in our lives, we can rejoice. One writer simply said it this way, a heart filled with praise is a heart filled with peace. The fact of the matter is this morning is that it's somewhat easy to praise the Lord when life is going good, isn't it? It's easy to praise when your team wins. It's easy to praise when you get the promotion at work. It's easy to praise when all is well and good. It's a little different when things go bad. But can I say to you this morning that when we're in the trial and we're in the difficulty, when we're in the bad times, can I say to you all the more, that's when we got to discipline ourselves. That's when we got to rejoice. That's when we got to praise him for who he is and for what he has done. David said it this way in Psalm 23. I love how he describes his relationship with the good shepherd. Here's what he says in Psalm 23, verses 4 through 6. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the very presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's amazing that when we think about Psalm 23, we think of it in the context of the, of the good shepherd. But the background of that is David talking about the dark valleys, death, enemies that had come against him, loneliness that he experienced. And yet in the midst of it all, he looks to the Lord and he says, but you are my good shepherd. You are with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my, evil, my, my enemies. You are with me every step of the way. My cup is overflowing. 
fact of the matter is this morning when you and I get our focus on the Lord and praise him, it's amazing how praising him even in the storms that through that God gets our attention on him and he gives joy and he gives peace and he gives perspective. All that happens as we praise the Lord always. No wonder the psalmist could say in Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2, I will lift up mine eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come from? And then with assurance he says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The fact of the matter is your circumstance may not go away. And the fact of the matter is God may use your circumstances in ways that you didn't imagine. So instead of wallowing in the misery, let's get our eyes on the Lord and let's praise him and rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. Always. When you feel like it, when you don't. When you see the good, when you don't. When you know the answer, when you don't. Somebody say, oh, but God doesn't know what I'm dealing with. Doesn't God understand that this isn't what I wanted? Doesn't God know that I'm in pain, that I'm afraid? Doesn't God know that I fill in the blank? Here's the reality. The reality is the Lord is worthy of your praise, whether you acknowledge it in the moment or not. The Apostle Paul was in a place where he rejoiced in the Lord always, even as he's in prison. Why? Because he knew that God was God and that God was good and God's will could be trusted. Even in prison, Paul understood that God was working all things together for his glory and for Paul's good. Even in prison, he recognized that God was molding him and shaping him and conforming him to the very image of Christ. So I challenge you in the midst of the circumstance, look to God and recognize that even in the midst of the circumstance, he's faithful and he's good and he's molding and shaping you to be the vessel he wants you to be. Praise the Lord always. Secondly, If you want to experience the peace of God, even in your trial today, yes, praise the Lord always, but there's a second truth, and that is this. That second prescription, that second action is this. Pursue peace with everyone. Pursue peace with everyone. Someone said, oh, pastor, you know, I'd I'd have a lot more peace if it was just about my relationship with God. But when you include people, it gets a little more dicey, doesn't it? Right? Sometimes we, we as people can be very challenging and we experience difficult personalities and difficult moments and experiences. But God is now calling us beyond that. Somebody say, well, pastor, okay, that's great. I've got to praise the Lord always, but how does this help me in my relationships? The fact is, is that our relationships dramatically impact our perspective. I'm reminded of the old illustration of the old Peanuts cartoon. You remember Charlie Brown and Lucy and you maybe, maybe remember some of those old cartoons. There was one that, where Lucy said to Charlie Brown, she said, Charlie Brown, I hate everything. I hate everybody, and I hate the whole world. Charlie Brown, in confusion, looked over at her and said, but Lucy, I thought you said you have inner peace. And she said, oh, Charlie Brown, I do have inner peace. I just also have outer obnoxiousness. You know what she was saying? Oh, I got peace inside, Charlie Brown, but it's everybody else that's obnoxious and annoying me and driving me crazy, causing me to lose my inner peace. The fact of the matter is this morning is that God is looking at us and now listen, you need to praise me, rejoice in the Lord always, but that rejoicing should also impact the way we relate to one another. Notice what he says here in verse five. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. And then he concludes, the Lord is near. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you have a gentle spirit? Do you have a gentle spirit? 
Now, please understand this morning, that is not suggesting that we are to be passive or that we are to be a doormat. That does not mean that you don't have a voice or an opinion that you just go along with everything. That's not what the scripture is saying. But the Bible is speaking about the way in our spirit, in our demeanor, in our actions, that we seek peace with one another. This word here that's used for gentle spirit is a very unique word in the Greek that's translated in a different way in just about every English translation. For example, I'll just give you four, for example. In the ESV, this word is translated as reasonableness. Live with reasonableness to all people. The NIV translates it as gentleness. The King James Bible translates it as moderation. And the Holman Standard Bible translates it as graciousness. Now, those are all unique words. But what they all have in common is this. They are describing the idea that in our dealings with one another, we are to be selfless and walking in grace towards one another. We don't see things the same exact way. We're going to have some differences of likes and preferences and of opinions. And what God is saying in this moment is that it shouldn't be about what we like, but about serving one another. It's that we're to be selfless and we're to be gracious in how we walk and relate to one another. Surely, if there was ever a day that we needed to hear this message in this context, it is today. We live in a culture today where the enemy, we're seeing it loud and clear, is doing all that he can to divide and to create issues. And truthfully, we often make it easy for him because we're so bent on having our own way, doing what we want, thinking that we are right, and leaving very little room for grace. And when we leave very little room for grace, in essence, we are leaving very little room for others. It's interesting to me that in Philippians chapter 4 that the Apostle Paul has literally named out two specific people in the body of Christ where there was division, Euodia and Syntyche. And likely they had shared with their husbands and they had shared with other people. And now what's happening is this division between the two is beginning to grow and expand. And this division is occurring in the body of Christ. And Paul says, stop it and walk in harmony. Now it's interesting to me that Paul never even tells us what the issue was. Paul never says this was the cause of the division. Why? Because in this moment, the cause wasn't all that important. What was important is that they need to recognize that it was Satan who was behind this division, and it was Satan who's ultimately doing all that he can to cause them to think that they were right. And in thinking they were right, it was bringing a division in the body of Christ and bringing the work of the Lord to a halt. So it's like Paul steps in and says, Stop the petty squabble, live in harmony, be selfless, be gracious towards all people, and God will bring peace to this situation. The fact of the matter is, there's much today that can divide us. There really is. We can be divided over many things, most of which do not matter in the grand scheme of life. For example, we can be divided over politics. So I don't know about that. Put a post on Facebook this afternoon and tell me how people respond. We, we can be divided, thank God we don't deal with this anymore, but we can be divided over our dress. Well, should he untuck, should he not? Should we wear jeans or not? We can be divided over our style of music, how long the music should be. We can be divided over sports, over paint colors, and today we can even be divided over masks. To wear or not to wear, that is the question, right? 
We can even make these cool arguments. Oh, well, it's a matter of love. If you love someone, then you're going to wear it. But the simple reality is that just because you're not wearing one doesn't mean you don't love somebody. The fact is there might be a medical condition. There may be other issues. We are not God. We do not know the hearts of man. God does. The reality is what God is calling us to recognize in this moment is there may be differences of opinion, but we must be of the same mind in the Lord. And in having that mind in the Lord, we're going to seek to live peaceably with all men. We must not allow these secondary, unimportant, non-eternal things to divide us. So often in this day where we get caught up with all these petty things that can divide, we get caught up with statements like, well, I feel, I, I want, I, I think. But to be honest with you, if our statement begins there, something's wrong. Because we are so caught up wanting to focus on our rights that we've completely ignored the fact, listen to this, this isn't popular preaching, but it's true. In Christ, in Christ, we are free in him, but that doesn't mean I have personal rights of my own. Listen to what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, as a follower of Jesus, when I said yes to Christ, Lord, forgive me and save me. Be the Lord and ruler of my heart and life. In that moment, my life was died and hidden with Christ and God. In other words, it's no longer about my life, but about his life in me and through me. It's no longer about my wants, but it's about God's wants. It's no longer about my rights. It's all about his will. As a Christian, my life is no longer about myself. It is all about giving myself for the glory of God and the good of others. In other words, your needs are more important than mine. Romans chapter 12 summarizes it in a very simple way, verses 16 through 18. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, and if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And then Paul summarizes, by the way, as you seek to live peaceably with all men, remember the Lord is near. That statement means Jesus is coming again. Let me ask you a question. How differently would you be living your life today if you knew that Jesus were coming again today? I mean, think about all the things that this week that you've invested your time and energy and attention to. Think of all the things that, that recently in our culture and, and in our own hearts maybe we've allowed to divide us and to cause all sorts of issues. And then I would ask you to consider if Jesus were coming back this very evening tonight, how many of those things would really have mattered in fact, there's a lot of things that we allow to divide us that we spend our time and attention on don't matter in eternity. And so we need to make sure those things don't have the place of what God should have in our life. Third thing, if we're going to experience the peace of God, we gotta praise the Lord always, yes. Yeah, yes, we have to pursue peace with all men. But third, we must pray with thanksgiving. We must pray with thanksgiving. In verse six, God now points us to one of the primary thieves of peace in our life. One of the primary hindrances that can uh, prevent us from experiencing the peace of God in our life is mentioned here in verse six in the first little phrase. It says, be anxious. Some translation will say, don't worry. 
The word worry here in the Greek literally comes from a word that means to be pulled in different directions. I wonder this morning, have you experienced that lately? Have you experienced this, this kind of feeling of being pulled in different directions? For example, our hopes can pull us in one direction, but our fear often pulls us in another direction. The truth pulls us in one direction, but our feelings often pull us in another direction. God wants to put us, pull us in this direction, so does he point us in the right direction. But oftentimes in our flesh, we try to go a different direction. That's kind of the image here. Worry has this way of pursuing or, or pulling apart in different directions that causes anxiety and it causes stress. And it affects us in so many ways physically and relationally, financially, even spiritually. Well, how do we get rid of worry? Oh, the world, world give you a clever slogan, don't worry, be. Ah, oh, it sounds good. Might even be a good song, but that doesn't work. Disney says, here's what you do. You just say, Hakuna Matata. No worries for the rest of your days. One of my favorite Disney songs, but that doesn't work either. What does God say? How do we overcome anxiety and worry in our life? Verse 6, be anxious. Don't worry for anything, but here's the cure. In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here's what you do. Don't get caught up with all these things, worrying about the outcome, worrying what might happen. Is this going to occur? Is that going to be around the corner? Am I going to lose this? Is this going to happen to someone that I love? No, no, here's what the Bible says. You take those things that bring anxiety. You bring those thoughts. You bring those concerns. You bring those fears. You bring those unknowns. And you bring them to a holy God who loves you, who calls you as, your, as him, you being his child, him being your father. And he says, listen, I want you to bring those to me. Just come and talk to me about it. Come and pray. Let your request be made known to God. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says literally that we are to be casting all of our cares, all of our concerns, all of our anxieties on him because he cares for us. We pray with supplication. The word supplication literally means that we earnestly share all of our needs and all of our problems. Isn't it amazing that the God who made the heavens and the earth loves us so much that as a father, he desires for us to come to him? Can I just say to you that I am in a season as a father that is so rich. I don't know how else to say that. I do miss them some of those days where my children were really small and everything was cute and cuddly, you know, and those are wonderful, precious times. And maybe this sounds weird to some people, but, but when I was a, in high school and I was driving at 16, 17 years old, as I would drive around, I would often daydream of the day that I would get to be a dad. And I would think about what would it be like one day when my kids are in the seat beside me and we're talking about life and, and now I'm a dad and I have a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old and an almost 12-year-old and an almost 10-year-old. You know what that means? It means I'm getting old. That's what it means. But can I just tell you, like, it is, it is so enriching to just be riding down the road with my kids and talking. And we might talk about crazy things and what's going on in the world. We might talk about sports, but at the same time in those conversations, I'm going to begin to hear their heart and what they like and what they dislike and what they're concerned about and what their dreams are. And we talk about everything. 
Can I just say to you that as a dad, when my children have those conversations with me, the rest of the world stops. I mean, as a dad, when my, my kids are talking to me and we're enjoying that moment of relationship and we're talking through various things, listen, it doesn't matter what else is happening in the world. It doesn't matter what else I've got to get to. It doesn't matter what, what might be going on in ministry in that moment. Like in that moment, like time stands still and it is just a precious, enjoyable, wonderful time. If I feel that way as a dad, I can only imagine how God responds when we as his children come and are honest with him to say, Father, I need you. Father, I'm concerned. Father, I'm afraid. Father, I, I don't understand. But we bring those things to him. Our prayer and supplications, we pray. But notice what he says. We pray with thanksgiving. I wonder this morning if we are quick to give thanks to God. So often in our life, we are quick to ask of God, but we are not quick to appreciate. We're like the lepers in Luke chapter 17. There were 10 of them who asked Jesus for healing. Jesus healed them all, but of the 10, only one came back to say thank you. So often we pray, we ask, God works, God moves. We move on without saying thanks. God says pray with thanksgiving. Now please hear something. That does not mean you're going to enjoy everything that happens in your life. It's easy to be thankful for the blessings. It's easy to be thankful when life is good. But God is showing us in all things, when we pray, we're to come with an attitude of gratitude and give thanks for who he is, give thanks for what he's done, and give thanks for the promise that he is with us along the way. It doesn't mean it's always going to look good. Illustration is given of a little boy one day that was sitting at the dinner table and his parents asked him, son, would you pray for the food? And he said, I will. His mama then brought the casserole dish from the kitchen area and she put it there on the table and he looked over at it and frankly, he didn't know what he was looking at. He bowed his head and he began to pray and he said, Lord, I don't like the looks of it, but I thank you and I'll eat it anyway. <laughs> There's a lot of things in life, we're not gonna like the looks of it. And our temptation would be to pray, oh God, would you just wave the wand and remove this? Oh God, would you fix this situation? God, would you change my circumstance? God, would you just make my life easier? Many times what God is wanting us to get to is not asking him to be our genie in the bottle to do what we want, but instead to humble ourselves and say, God, I give you thanks because I know that you're with me. God, I give you thanks because I know that you're good. God, I give you thanks because I know, even though I don't see it, even though I can't understand it, even though it doesn't look good to me, I am confident that you're going to work this together for your glory and even for my good. So we pray with thanksgiving. And when we come with thanksgiving, God begins to give us in the midst of our circumstance a peace that passes all understanding. Some of us don't experience that peace today because we're so bent out of shape that God didn't do what we wanted that we've missed sight of what he has done. So instead of praying, God, change my circumstance, maybe we need to start praying, God, change me. Change my perspective. Change my focus. Change me. We must pray with thanksgiving. Fourth, if we're going to have the peace of God in our life, here's what he says in verse 8. Step number four of this prescription. Put your mind on praiseworthy things. 
Put your mind on praiseworthy things. It is amazing how many people are robbed of peace because their mind is filled with the stinking thinking that comes from Satan. His lies, his deceits, his temptations. Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Please understand this morning, the things that you dwell upon are likely to be the things that you act upon. If you are thinking on the wrong things, it will give you wrong feelings and your wrong feelings will almost always lead you to wrong actions. So God says... Get your mind right. Get your mind on praiseworthy things. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, he literally said, Set your mind on things above, not on the things of earth. It's like Paul is saying, Don't get distracted and disillusioned. Don't give in to all the temptations that you see around you. Yes, your feet are here on earth, but focus your heart and your mind, set them on heaven. The fact of the matter is this morning, There is no way to overestimate how our mind and our thinking influences and affects everything else. Throughout the course of this study in Philippians, we've seen the theme of the entire book is the word joy. 16 times in four chapters, the Apostle Paul says either the words joy or rejoice, right? Well, I want to have joy. Yes, I know I need to rejoice in the Lord. Absolutely, this is good. But there's another idea that Paul mentions several times in the book of Philippians. In fact, I have preached through Philippians numerous times before. I have read Philippians numerous times in the context of this sermon series, and I've never even noticed it until this week. Do you know what concept Paul also introduces in a significant way in the book of Philippians? He introduces the theme of right thinking. Paul uses the words mind, think, and know, as in knowledge, multiple times in the book of Philippians. Do you know how many times he uses those words? Might come as a shock. 16 times. It's interesting to me that this same theme of what we're thinking upon and what we're dwelling upon, he would mention it 16 times. And by the way, what's the theme of the book? It is joy. The fact of the matter is this morning, whether or not you have peace, whether or not you have hope, whether or not you have joy, will be largely dependent upon what you're putting your mind on. So what does he say? Here's the test as you think about what you're going to dwell on and ponder on. First off, is it true? Whatever is true. Please understand, Satan is a liar and the father of lies. He will fill our minds with lies, and the moment we give in to them, he begins to divide and to destroy. Think upon it. Is it true? Secondly, is it honorable and is it right? The idea of honorable is, is it worthy of respect? If this thought were to be spoken out loud, would it be respectable? Third, is it pure, lovely, and of good repute? That first one says a lot, doesn't it? Is it pure? Our culture is filled with images and messaging and temptations that is anything but pure. And there can be nothing more devastating to the health of a believer's thinking than unclean, immoral, and inappropriate thoughts. You're going to dwell on it? Here's the question, is it pure? Is it lovely? Which means literally, is it healthy? Is it complete? The picture here is, is it wholesome? And is it of good repute? If this thought were exposed, if this thought were allowed, 
Would it bring a, great, a good response is the idea. Finally, whatever is excellent and worthy of praise. Is it excellent? Does it, does it cause you to strive to be better and to do better? Is it worthy of praise? Literally, if you were to, to speak that thought aloud, if you were to pursue that thought and act upon it, would it be a praiseworthy thought? Something that would be worth emulating? Something that would be worth commending to others? What are you thinking on? Someone's a pastor, man, that's a lot. Well, where, where do we begin? How can we possibly think that way? I mean, turn on the television, listen to the radio, just walking down the street, looking at the ads, talking to the person next to me. How can we possibly think these pure and praiseworthy thoughts? There's really only one way. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we must be transformed by the renewing of our mind. How does that happen? It happens as we get in God's word and God's word gets into our heart and mind. I love this statement. I'm going to wrap up fairly quickly. In Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 through 9, listen to what David said about the word of God. Notice the similarities between the description of God's word and the description of the mind that God is calling us to have. Listen to what he says in Psalm 19. He declared, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous all together. But then David concludes in verses 10 and 11. Yes, God's words. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. They are sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. It's interesting, when you begin to study all of that Psalm 19, what we begin to see is almost every description that Paul gave of the mind that thinks upon praiseworthy things, we also see described of one source, and that is the Word of God in Psalm 19. You want to have praiseworthy thinking? Get in God's Word and let it get in you. Isaiah said it this way, the steadfast of mine, Lord, you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Final thing I want you to see, the final part of Paul's prescription for the peace of God is this. We must practice the things that God has shown us. Verse 9, and I'll close. Listen to what he said. He said, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You. In other words, it's not just enough to know God's word. It's not just enough to have a mental knowledge of the truth. Oh, I grew up in a Christian home. I heard the Bible stories my whole life. Oh, I grew up in this program. I memorized scripture my whole life. It's not just enough to know as in factual knowledge what God is calling us to do is to know Christ and to live out what he's called us to do. James chapter 1 says it this way, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude or deceive themselves. In other words, as you get in God's word, and you think upon God's word, as you pray with thanksgiving, as you pursue peace with all men, as you praise the Lord always, in those moments, God is going to work in your life to convict you and to guide you, to lead you, to show you what he'd have you to do. And as he does, here's the simple thing, act on it practice it, do it, fulfill it. Don't just know it in your head, but do the very thing that God has called you to do.
And what's the result? It's found in verse 7. Here's the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all human comprehension or understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Jesus Christ. Paul (laughs) was in a Roman prison, bound in chains to Caesar's guard. His future was unclear. He did not know if he would be acquitted or beheaded. Yet in the midst of it all, he had peace. Why? Because the peace of God was guarding his heart and mind through Jesus Christ. That word for guard in that day is where we get our English word, a garrison. In that culture, it was used to describe the protection of something with great military force. You might say that you are protecting the palace or protecting the base or protecting the camp. But the idea in that culture was that with every bit of force that they could muster, they were protecting that which was valuable. God says today, even in the midst of 2020, even in the midst of much cultural division, even in the midst of a pandemic, that he will guard our hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Do you have the peace of God in your life today? If you don't, you can. It begins first by a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. But as you experience that relationship, as you grow in Him, God allows you through His peace to walk in joy and in hope every step as you yield to him. My hope and prayer today is that we will hear this not merely as a message or merely as words, but literally God's plan for our peace and that we'll respond accordingly. Do you have peace? Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.